As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. Joe, do you know what a nurdle is? No. Is that like something related to Wordle? Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, sounds like a it. A nerdier Wordle? Uh, a nurdle is, it's like that tiny little pellet or bead of plastic, which is used to make bigger plastic items. Yeah, so, I had no idea. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite <laughs> words. And this episode is really just an excuse for me to say nurdle several times. But today we are going to be talking about the plastics market, which I kind of think is an underappreciated thing yeah. in global supply chains, but also potentially in inflation. Yeah, it's super interesting because plastics are obviously huge. They're in everything. They package everything. They're omnipresent. But I feel like we don't actually talk about plastics very much. I don't. We've never done a plastics episode. And by and large, like when you like read the news and you like read about commodities or things like that, I don't think there's actually much discussion about the plastics industry. I, Right. Yeah, right. So I wrote a tiny bit about it in 2021. It was based off of this great Bank of America note talking about how there was this huge arbitrage opportunity that had opened up between U.S. and European and Asian plastics markets. And the price of plastic at the time was just going absolutely nuts, like, like everything, everything yeah. at that time. Since then, it has come crashing down. So we flipped from record high plastic prices to, I think, a two-year low. So it's kind of similar to what we've seen with a lot of commodities, a lot of different types of consumer goods, which means that we need to check in on what's going on with the market. Let's do it because, I, like I said, I'm kind of starting from scratch. I don't know anything. I don't know what a nerd all is, but more importantly, <laughs> I really don't know anything about it, about the plastics industry at all, which is kind of indefensible for such a for such an important part of our lives. We'll just keep saying nerdles. Okay, well, we have the perfect guest to discuss this. We are going to be speaking with the author of that uh, analyst report that I just mentioned. We're going to be speaking with Warren Russell. He is a commodity strategist at Bank of America, and he's going to give us the uh, the lowdown on nurdles and what's going on in the plastic market right now. So Warren, thank you so much for coming on All Thoughts. Thanks for having me. So maybe just to begin with a very basic question, but when we talk about the price of plastic, mm. what are the sort of ingredients or factors that go into that? Sure. So, you know, the primary feedstock for this comes from oil. Um, so when we think about the uh, fundamental pricing of plastic, it, it comes down to a large degree with what's happening with oil. But there are a lot of other nuances as well 
with regards to capacity within the uh, the plastic space, um, the ability to meet demand. So is there enough capacity to meet demand? Uh, and obviously during the last few years, we've had a, a bit of a challenge uh, doing that. And so you've seen some disconnects in price between what oil is doing and what some of the plastics are doing. So talk to us a little bit more. First of all, um, within the broader world of petroleum consumption, you know, we think about cars, think about jet fuel, how big is plastics? And then talk to us about that refining component. Again, we talk about gasoline refining and we talk about um, diesel and all that. But in terms of the process for turning oil, petroleum into plastics, what do we talk about in terms of capacity, spare capacity? How tight has that got? Sure. So um, I guess I should just start with where this is all coming from. So when, when you drill a well, right, you've got um, most people just think of gas and oil, but uh, you actually have a, a broad spectrum of what we call hydrocarbons coming out of the uh. ground. And so you'll have uh, the very heavy viscous stuff that looks like uh, or feels like peanut butter. And then you've got the very light stuff, which is pretty much natural gas uh, uh. Or, or methane. Um, and in between, you've got uh, just just after methane, we, we call them hydrocarbon chains. So you start with yeah. methane with with one C, two uh, C is ethane, three C is propane uh, and, and up the stream. Uh, the plastics come from the light ends uh, of that. So you you drill a well, you're producing oil, you're producing what we call wet gas. Uh, that wet gas is separated out into different streams. So you're going to split out most of the natural gas. There'll be some ethane in that, but yeah. they recover some ethane. Uh, that in the U.S. is used heavily in our pet chem industry. Uh, you're also producing propane and, and uh, butane uh, huh. and what we call C5s as well. Uh, you, you know, that is a large component of, of the feedstock for um, for the pet chem sector. You also producing some of these feedstocks from the refinery too. So you know you can pull those other streams. Naphtha, to a large degree, comes from refining too. So, can you talk to us about the types of plastics mm. because there are a bunch of different types, but they all kind of sound similar and have similar acronyms, which yep. is a little confusing. <laughs> no, I think uh, we have uh, you know a, a larger focus is on what we call the poly, or at least in our markets, polyethylene, polypropylene. So you have these acronyms like HDPE, which is high density uh, polyethylene. You've got low density polyethylene, LDPE. You've got linear uh, low density. Uh, that sort of rounds out the polyethylene space. Then you've got polypropylene, which, um, you know, that's a, a polymer version of, of of propylene, uh, which we can talk about further. And then you've got uh, PET, which is what we see a lot of uh, plastic bottles made out of. Mm. Um, that is uh, polyethylene uh, terephthalate. Um, that and, is not and, how I would have pronounced and, that. Uh, I learned I've, something new. Okay. Well, well uh, I think uh, you've got PVC, um, which I think most people are familiar with, a polyvinyl chloride. Um, uh, let's see what else? Polystyrene. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, so, I mean, and then there's all sorts of. Um, um, and so, just to be clear, all of these different acronyms, different polys, et cetera, it's just slightly different purposes. So, there's, you know, you might have a plastic bottle for like a Diet Coke or something. And then, like, I don't know, what would be like the clamshell plastic for like at a baker? Could, yeah. I mean, you can make that um, from one of the uh, blow mold. Um, polyethylene type. Uh, this, would, this would be a good game too. Like just throw out <laughs> items for yeah, you. Tell I, us, I, I, what about, I think, I think, I think that there are. What there about are, like 
like a my daughter's toys, like a dollhouse or something made out of plastic. Um, it, I guess it depends, but okay. you know, you, you can you can pull in all sorts of things. For example, with uh, polypropylene, you know, that goes into um, automotives. It goes into what we call the white glove, big ticket items uh, that consume these plastics that are primarily used in packaging. So you, um, the polyethylene, polypropylene, um, PET are uh, largely consumed by uh, plastic packaging, maybe 50% or more. Um, and then you sort of branch out into like PVC, which is uh, heavily used in construction. Right. So the pipes. I knew that, I think. Okay, but whether it's HDPE or LDPE or PET or PVC or, or whatever, like it comes from hydrocarbons in the ground and then it gets refined into plastics. And then presumably there's like a storage and transportation cost on top of that. Talk to us about what happened in 2021 with plastics prices, because this is where I was first introduced to your work. We saw plastics really going gangbusters and lots of interesting things happening in the market. Yeah, I mean, there were uh, a lot of things happening sort of all at once. The point that I was making earlier on um, capacity yes. uh, became an issue where uh, the U.S. sector specifically is susceptible to storms. Um, so we had right. hurricanes, which can take down these these plants. Uh, we had the deep freeze. Uh, if you remember in 2021, mm -hmm. uh, that also took down plants for a long time. And, um, you know, that really the market was already sort of tight into that, um, meaning we didn't have a whole lot of uh, incremental supply at that time. And these uh, these facilities went down. The U.S. market got very tight um, at the same time as the government was stimulating and people right. were spending their checks on everything plastic. Um, and so, you know, that was one thing that really, uh, you know, helped drive plastics up to these levels that we haven't seen. You know, those plastic prices were trading at levels where we would have expected them with oil over $100 a barrel uh, hmm. at least. So. You know, in, in a way, it feels like old news, but maybe it's not. I don't think we actually ever did an episode where we talked about the supply chain impacts of that Texas freeze last March 2021. But it seemed like it has come up a number of times in reading things. Like, I think there was something with, like, uh, uh, insulation mm -hmm. for, like, homes got really disrupted. Can you talk about, like, how big of a deal was that? Because I actually think it might be kind of relevant now when we think about normalization and we think inflation as sort of like one of the under-discussed supply chain disruptions of 2021 of the last year, how long-lasting were the impacts of that Texas freeze? I mean, it took a long, in, in the pet chem space, it took yeah. a while for the U.S. market to really, several months to, to start to normalize, even into 2022. Wow. Then we, you know, in the U.S., we do have uh, a lot of capacity that's been coming online over the years. We've never really managed to run it all at full. Uh, we do struggle to balance the exports and the domestic consumption. Um, but it took a while to get back up. And now in the last just in the last few months, we've gotten up to sort of record high inventories of PE. Hmm. Uh, and that's come down a little bit in the last two months, but still is at very high levels. So it did take a while. You know, another dynamic that people may or may not have mentioned is the uh, the end consumer or or the company that's making the bottles or um, any of the other material with those plastic pellets uh, was 
you know, in, a, in an oh crap moment where they're realizing maybe we should hold more of this uh, on hand. Right, inventories. <laughs> exactly. Right. So you had sort of a just-in-time inventory situation sort of globally uh, moving more towards a just-in-case. Uh, the unfortunate thing about that was that the just-in-case time came when there really wasn't a whole lot of supplies. So people were sort of disregarding price and just buying uh, hmm. at all cost. Um, so. Sounds familiar. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So just going back to market structure for plastics, you know, in 2021, you were writing about this arbitrage opportunity. um, And it was a big arbitrage opportunity, but it was big because it was actually difficult to do. Um, And it kind of had to do with the different market prices between the US, Europe, and Asia, which kind of begs the question of, is there no like global standard for plastics prices in the same way that we have like Brent Brent. versus WTI? Right. No, I mean, this is very regional, um, very regional pricing. There's also pricing that you don't really see uh, that transparently either. Um, There's a spot market and then there's a contract market. Hmm. Uh, And so, you know, a large chunk of the plastics volume in the US will be on contract. And that's a price that's um, agreed upon between the producers of the plastic and the consumers of the plastic. And there's obviously a lot of give and take there. And sometimes there's questions around why prices are what they are based on what you think are the broader fundamentals. But it's very regionalized from that regard. Um, it's also, uh, you know, it's not like we have the same fungibility that you do yeah. with oil. Um, the consumers of plastic may be set up uh, on a rail line uh, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, next to a facility. And so there's um, synergies there that are hard to arb away. Um, yeah, so you can't have like a pipeline for nurdles. Shooting, just shooting like, pellets yeah. down. <laughs> well, no, I was going to ask, because like, right, with oil, like there are a diffusion of prices, but it's kind of like they all move together. Mm-hmm. Whereas we know that with natural gas, it's not like that mm-hmm. at all, where you yeah. can just have completely different movements in different directions. And the reason is obviously the sort of fungibility and this sort of like the nature of the global distribution yeah. network is much more fragmented. So with plastics, what does that look like such that you can have such persistent wide variations. So I think the the issue they had in, in 2020 and 2021 was obviously the, the freight congestion. Okay. Um, so um, the wide arbs on paper looked wide, partly because freight was so high. Right. Um, I think another issue that you had there is that 
again, if I'm set up to buy pellets a certain way, um, I may not actually be able to take advantage of inbound pellets from the uh, global market. And don't get me wrong, this market is, is there's a lot of trade, mm -hmm. uh, but if you're talking about incremental, uh, incremental um, uh, uh, buying, if you need, for example, to buy polyethylene from the US Gulf Coast and you're buying it in uh, what they call super sacks, which are basically these polypropylene sacks that hmm. um, you put those in a container ship and send them. Uh -huh. Wait, are they so, full of nurdles or something else? The pellets. Pellets, pellets. okay. <laughs> so just to be clear, in, in sort of a quote unquote normal time, like say 2019, mm -hmm. is there more of a one global price for plastic or is it always going to be this kind of thing where it's not like oil in terms of the spreads? No, I think that you will definitely see the, uh, I mean, you are seeing the ARBs come in. Okay. Um, so the issue that we have right now is that this market is over capacity. Um, we've been talking about a market that looked like it should have been an over oversupply since maybe 2019. 2020 was sort of 2020, 2021 were these years where you had um, sort of extra demand right. for goods, which, you know, when you line up demand for polyethylene and polypropylene, um, they typically track, uh, you know, directionally with GDP. Okay. Uh, those those um, demand for those plastics increased right. uh, or was flat when GDP was down, what, 3.3 or whatever yeah. percent it was. Um, and so, you know, that was that was sort of a, a one-off dynamic. Um, now I think we're starting to come full cycle on uh, economic expectations with a downturn expected for next year. Um, you have, with, with that uh, China reopening, arguably uh, more broadly, you have decongestion in the global um, supply chain. So you don't have quite the same congestion at ports and, you know, the, the box, uh, the ability to procure containers was a big issue back two years ago. Right. That's definitely um, not something that you hear as much uh, of a problem now. So sort of decongesting all of that should help facilitate uh, narrower spreads between the regions. And so, and you are starting to see, you know, European prices are, are still high, but um, people are moving volumes into Europe to try to capitalize on that. So talk to us about the capacity outlook yeah. then, because you've mentioned that a number of times. And I remember when I was based in Hong Kong, there were some stories about China purposely building out its um, polypropylene capacity and, and things like that. Is that something that's going to impact the market? I think that's something that has been catching up uh, over the last few years and is now starting to rear its head. I think when you look at both polyethylene and polypropylene, capacity growth still looks fairly robust over the next year or two. Um, so you sort of juxtapose that with what we expect to happen with GDP and actual demand now that the stimulus checks are fizzling out uh, yeah. and people are not buying as much online. Um, that demand for plastics is sort of like potentially could come in a little worse uh, than, than normal trend at a time when capacity is is ramping up. So, you know, this is a situation where um, you may be in a, uh, an environment where capacity ra rationalization is required to help sort of shore shore up the balances. So just on that note, one of um, one of the the pet theories, uh, pet. Hmm. Good um, one. Yeah, thank you. One of the pet theories about plastics is that it has been this underappreciated force in um, widespread inflation because 
plastic packaging goes into almost everything. And, you know, if if the dial on plastics is moving up, like relative to the price of the good, it can be quite significant. Is that something that you're aware of or that you would like buy into as a commodity strategist? Yeah, I, I definitely buy into that. I, I think it's all relative, though. If you're talking about a low value product like a, uh, a bottle of water, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to see a lot more. That's like all the bottles. Like exactly. the, the plastic, I assume, is basically the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I don't know what the margins look like for yeah. selling plastic water bottles, but arguably the uh, plastic is a much larger uh, input cost there than it would be for, let's say, some sort of uh, uh, healthcare product that's sure. something that maybe costs $70 a bottle. Mm. Um, you know, the rise in plastic price, it could go up, you know, 100, 100x and you may yeah. not even notice. Um, so I think the cost pass through for those low value items is probably more likely uh, than something that's more of a premium uh, product. So explain, you know, one of the themes that's come up uh, in our in the show a lot is this idea of like, okay, we had this pretty dismal growth in the wake of the great financial crisis and many areas even going into uh, the pandemic had seen underinvestment, mm. underbuild. But you were saying that in 2019, there was already talk then of um, too much capacity mm-hmm. of a of a so can you talk about what was the what were the conditions in 2019 such that people were worried about overcapacity and gluts and then like what's now like how much how serious and severe is it for the plastics manufacturers like well they can lose pricing power like talk to us a little bit more about the yeah. economics so so in 2019 I should say looking at capacity additions there was a wall of capacity additions okay. in both polyethylene polypropylene uh, kicking in 2020 2021 and beyond yeah. um, so mostly in Asia uh, a lot of that in Asia uh, some in the U S we've been building out polyethylene capacity in the U S for the okay. last few years on the back of the shale revolution but uh, you know you've seen um, Asia sort of grinding along at very low margins. Um, They saw some margin improvement uh, during the COVID period, but things are back to sort of uh, negative or or neutral margin territory right now. And that's that's a uh, symptom of the capacity that's coming online there. Uh, And the fact that China was in lockdown. So you you know, in some instances, had China, who's usually a big buyer, uh, potentially being a seller of some of the uh, some of those commodities. So, one thing I've been wondering about is if the plastics industry experiences the kind of same existential concerns that the oil industry does in terms of investment and building out capacity, because I think most countries are. I should say many countries at this point have said that they want to move away from one-use plastics. And, you know, we all know that nurdles aren't very good for the environment and they get in like fish lungs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But if if there's a stated goal to move away from plastic production, does that start to impact decisions on good whether question. or not to build out refining capacity? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been interesting, actually, over the last few um over the last few years, the solution to oil's sort of demand concerns long term was, well, we'll just focus on the pet chem space. So yeah. we'll build up right. more pet chem capacity. Uh, obviously, that's a big risk going forward. You are seeing traction on uh, plastics um, use reduction. I think it really depends on what you're reducing the use of. It, the most obvious cases, uh, packaging things that you see most visibly floating in the water in, in all these sort of terrible images that you see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that is sort of the low hanging fruit, I would say, the, the one use plastics. Um, you know, what are the alternatives? That's the tricky thing. Um, are you talking what about going back, going back to glass, uh, going back to uh, aluminum? Um, you Paper know, straws. Oh my God, the worst. <laughs> Not a fan. No, but uh, in all in all seriousness, there, there's also bioplastics. Mm. Um, so, bioplastics you sort of split into two categories. One is um, you're using biomaterial uh, to create a um, sort of a look-alike chemical structure for that basically replaces uh, plastic. Um, arguably, that is not very easy to biodegrade, um, mm. but you also have the biodegradable design plastic, which can either degrade uh, sort of in normal environment or in a um, compost environment. And that maybe has a little bit more traction. There's a lot of growth there hmm. uh, in that space, but it's very small as a percentage of the global market. It's, you know, uh, I would say 1% or maybe less than 1% right now of sort of total plastics. This brings me to something else I wanted to ask, which is how much of our current plastic supply comes from recycled plastic? Mm. That is a good question. Um, you know, we don't recycle a lot of plastic, to be honest. We, <clears throat> there's all sorts of figures out there. Most of them seem to sort of center around 10% uh, plastics recycled. Mm. Um, you know, the waste of plastic relative to um, total use is, I don't know, somewhere around, I'm just ballparking 75% on an annual basis. Mm. Uh, so you do get like, in a market that's, uh, you know, the total market's probably around 450 to uh, 500 million tons or ballpark. Um, you know, the stuff that you're recycling is the PET. Uh, so, or the, uh, you know, the plastic bottles that may be HDPE. Right. Um, and it's a lot harder to recycle these uh, computer screens or this chair. Uh, so there's, there's real barriers to sort of recycling the yeah. broader you know, you talk about replacing plastics. The the low hanging fruit is is the stuff that we dispose of uh, after single, single use, use plastics. I think the hard part about dealing with that is uh, you need to make an environment where it's economic to collect, uh, economic to uh, either uh, mechanically or chemically recycle that, uh, and sort of you know make it make it more of a, a closed loop uh, environment. We're way way a ways away from that today, and and it's going to cost. I think a lot to to get there, but that's what really people need to come to, to grips with is that you know uh, it's going to come down to diligence from people you know as we walk out of this room, making sure we're putting our plastic cup or in a in a recyclable uh, container. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, it's making sure that the uh, you know the the plastic recycler can actually recycle it. So is it like a um, a clear shot there or is it going to be something where they're going to spend a lot of money sorting it um, and then ultimately uh, you know at the end of the day they don't break even as a leading real estate manager principal asset management harnesses the power of a 360 degree perspective delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market giving our clients an exclusive advantage principal asset management actively invested learn more at principalam.com Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. 
Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, just before, I just realized, what is the sort of, when if someone said, what's the price of plastic? And I get uh, the whole, we've been talking, there's no one plastic and there's no one global price. Is there like a number that you would say that's like a rough like benchmark that you and the industry use? I mean, I... I typically sort of default to like a polyethylene price or a high, de- high density polyethylene or a polypropylene price. But like you're talking around a thousand dollars a ton. And where did that, you know, what was that pre-crisis and where did it get to at its peak in 2021 roughly? Sure. So again, this, this comes down to where we are with uh, oil prices yeah. because that's going to dictate on the margin uh, what people can actually uh, operate at. So they, they need the end product to sell at a certain price to actually keep the margins uh, at a level that allows them to operate. So, you know, we've seen plastics prices above uh, $1,000 uh, uh, a ton for a yeah. while. Uh, they got up to upwards of $2,000 a ton um, during sort of the chaos of, of 2021. Uh, now they're sort of back down to those levels. Oil prices are obviously a lot higher today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I should say uh, marginally higher today, but they were a lot higher uh, earlier this year uh, relative to sort of yeah, where they were in history. So this is not really a uh, unseen territory to where we are today. Um, could I ask, you know, you touched on China reopening. What impact would you expect that to have on the plastics market? Because like it, it feels like it could affect it in various ways. So on the one hand, you know, maybe you have... Um, well, exports from China to the U.S. have already been falling mm-hmm. a little bit, but maybe you have more domestic consumption because people are going out and buying things, or maybe they're not because they were buying things online while they were stuck at home. You could have capacity ramped up if more people are out and going to factories. How are you sort of parsing that development? I think there's there's definitely m- several moving pieces here. I think the one that you touched on, the big sort of elephant in the room is the, the fact that people when they reopen, they may not be buying as much uh, mm-hmm. online. So you're not going to have that sort of support for plastics demand. Uh, in China, I would expect, you know, single-use plastics, uh, eating eating out, uh, that type of uh, plastic use to go back up. Um, I think there's questions around, obviously, China's uh, real estate market and what construction sure. is going to look like going forward. That's going to have an impact on your um construction plastics like PVC. So, you know, you may see um, even when they reopen that some of this plastics demand isn't what it used to be during uh, prior years. So what's your outlook overall? Well, I think, again, it comes back to how much capacity we have coming online. We have, you know, five to seven percent of of capacity growth in the polyethylene polypropylene space. Uh, You know, you look um, you look at GDP growth expectations, and obviously they range from anywhere in the low ones to maybe two and a half um, next year. So real glut potential. I think I think that mm-hmm. there's definitely room for mar- further margin contraction here. Ultimately, you know, margin contraction tells you one thing, but 
you know, oil prices at the end of the day will sort of be your lower uh, lower bound for some of this stuff. So just on the, that note, this might be a, a slightly odd question, but like given that a lot of plastics comes from oil um, and given that like a lot of plastic consumption is dependent on economic growth and oil is also sort of a play on economic growth. Can plastics be like a leading indicator for what people are expecting for the overall economy? I think so. Um, I, I would say you're sort of shrouded a little bit now with the capacity uh, that we're trying to sort of work through today, but mm. certainly um, you're very sort of high up the value chain with plastics. It goes into everything. Uh, um, again, that we use. So you start to see demand for plastics pick up and margins there pick up, then ultimately, I think that may be a nice a nice way to sort of signal, hey, a turnaround is coming. So definitely worth keeping an eye on, on those margins. Hmm. I just want to just real quickly, you know, go back. We talked, a, you, you mentioned it, the, you know, the concerns about single use plastics, the images of huge plastic blobs in the sea. Um, how much teeth, you know, when you look at what governments around the world are attempting to do on this, how significant is it? Is it a lot of press releases that won't really amount to much? And or are there some real curbs? And in terms of, you know, when you think about, I don't know, the medium term growth of the industry, are some of these environmental ESG concerns going to curtail it in a meaningful way? I, I think that there is room. You sort of extend the timeline out long enough and there will be room for some meaningful reductions. The The issue, when you look at what drives plastics demand, it's obviously, I think, population growth is one, but also income per capita is one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, over the last 50 years, uh, the plastics industry is sort of like found its way into sort of every nook and cranny of yeah. everyday life. But now plastics demand sort of grows it. Uh, GDP because, you know, there's no more. Like, there's no more nooks and crannies. Plastic exactly. is filled every nooks and crannies that are out there. The yeah. nibbles are everywhere. Right. And so to the extent that, huh. um, you know, be, getting rid of plastics, you have to ask, well, how do we get here in the first place? Part of it is because they're, you know, incredibly dynamic materials mm-hmm. um, and they're usually fairly low cost. And so you have to sort of get around that to, to um, uh, make to make inroads for for either replacement or just reduction of use in general, but it, you know, I guess the other thing that I'd point out is that it comes also down to um, human behavior and our ability to, um, you know, if we want to make this a closed loop or closer to a closed loop, we need to we need to do our part to actually spend the time recycling, and right. we need to build out the recycling capacity and all sorts of other things down the supply chain to to make that work. I have one last question, and it's for like my own future educational efforts to learn more about plastics. You know, when I think about oil, I have like a handful of companies in my mind. I understand there's like the big mega oil companies and the pipeline providers, upstream, downstream drillers, all that. Who are like, what is the ecosystem with what is the equivalent ecosystem when we're talking about plastics? And like, who would be company, like whose conference calls should I re- start reading to start learning more? No, it's a good question. Um, I would first say that the the space, uh, depending on where you're looking, is, is heavily integrated with refining. So okay. some of the refineries that you may be reading the transcripts on uh, are also the, the ones that are producing the plastic. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, and I don't know if I should name names here, but large chemical companies, yeah. uh, you know, 
you name them. Uh, like a DuPont or something? Is that who yeah, we're talking about? Yeah, okay. like a Dow. Okay. Um, okay. Adnock. I mean, when I was yeah. in Abu Dhabi, and, Adnock made its big move okay. into petrochemicals and, for exactly the reasons we've been talking about. Yeah. So. And then are there separate companies that then like take some sort of like raw, like specialize in the mold, like, a, like yeah, there the are. molding of a specific plastic into like a toy, like, yeah. I don't know, like what's the next stop? Yeah, the so, you're, so exactly, you're taking the, the buyer of those yeah. pellets who's yeah. then uh, making a bottle yeah. or or a clamshell or, okay. or sort of you name it. That That's, I think, a little less integrated okay. uh, than the upstream, right. but uh, there are plenty of companies out there that, uh, uh, that sort of sit in, in that bucket, but that are sort of plastics or packaging specialists. Right. All right. Well, Warren, thank you so much for, for kicking off our education on yeah. plastics. I'm sure there's going to be uh, more to come, but really appreciate that. That was great. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Joe, I think I have a, a new ambition in life. Oh, yeah? I want to build a, a Nerdle pipeline. <laughs> you can make a fortune. It's <laughs> like a Nerdle pipeline from, uh, you know, I don't know. Where's the, in which direction? I, I, where's it, How do you take advantage of it? You know, since I'm dreaming big, I'm just going to say around, around the world. An, or around the world. It'll go everywhere. Pipeline. No, but I thought that was a fascinating conversation. And I do, I do think that this might end up being an unappreciated aspect of consumer goods inflation yeah. overall. Uh-huh. And also just the idea of looking at the plastics market as sort of an early read potentially on the economy and economic growth. That seems interesting, too. Yeah. I mean, there were a bunch of interesting things. You know, I do think like, you know, the disruption of that Texas freeze was probably mm. underappreciated when we talk about a literal storm contributing to the perfect storm. <laughs> the perfect storm. Of, um, supply chain. The perfect storm created a perfect storm. It was a perfect storm that contributed to the broader perfect storm. And so how long that uh, took to fade. And then just this idea that like, okay, you know, we might be in this situation where there's a lot more capacity coming online than there right. was growth. So it's sort of like, this this wall of plastic capacity is kind of an interesting theme. And again, whether that inflation terms turns to disinflation over the course of 2023. Well, that kind of gets back to the like existential questions facing the energy industry as well, which we've been discussing on the podcast, yeah. because a lot of oil producers went into petrochemical, petrochemical right. refining in order to sort of diversify away from just drilling yeah. and pulling hydrocarbons out of the ground. But if everyone does that at the same time, is it actually going to be profitable or work? Right. The other thing that I thought was interesting was, you know, the talk about recycling. And I think it was in October that we had Greenpeace basically come out and say that plastics recycling doesn't work and we yeah. need to find another solution. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a recycling skeptic. That's fair. I should I should point out that the plastic cups featured in this episode are, in fact, recyclable. Whether or not anyone is actually making money recycling them and reusing them is, a, is an open question. All right. Shall we leave it there? Let's leave it there. Okay. This has been another episode of the Odd Thoughts Podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow our producers on Twitter, Carmen Rodriguez at Carmen Armin and Dash Bennett at Dashbot. Follow all of the podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at Podcasts. And for more Odd Lots content, go to Bloomberg.com slash Odd where we post transcripts of each episode, Tracy and I blog, and we have a newsletter that we write each week. Every Friday comes out, subscribe to it. Thanks for listening.
Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.